welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. All right, so I want to know how many of our listeners still have their Christmas tree up. What? What? <laughs> okay, so hear me out, Lauren. What? I, I grew up in New England. Most of my childhood was in New Hampshire, and it was incredibly common for everyone to leave their Christmas tree up till Valentine's Day because there's like two feet of snow on the ground and it gets dark at four o'clock. And so you're like, like, this is our only this source is like of our joy. only joy <laughs> is our Christmas tree and our Christmas lights. So people just leave it all up until the snow melts. Um, so I I've been fascinated when I was 12, we moved to Georgia and people would like take it down before New Year's. And I was like, what on earth? What are yeah, people doing? You, gotta go, you have a huge bonfire because those Christmas trees like like. Like they that, do light real nicely. <laughs> and so, yeah, you get everybody's Christmas trees together, and you just burn them. <laughs> Why would you wait until February to do that? That's so oh, awesome. It's so pretty. So I, I keep going home, and I look at my Christmas tree that is still set up, and I think I should take that down. But like, it's the most peaceful thing in the world. Like on a cold January night, to like your trees on and your fire is going, and it's so cozy. So when you set it up, um. So, like the beginning of December. Okay. So that's that's the third a quarter of your year. <laughs> it's just so pretty though. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my family decorated their Christmas tree like December twenty second and it was down by like oh my January thirtieth. <laughs> well, so there's that Taylor Swift song, like we can leave the lights up, the Christmas lights up till January, we make the rules. And the first time I heard that, I was like it's not that rebellious. Like, I kind of thought everyone did that. But apparently not everyone does. So I'm going to put a poll on Instagram to see if I'm the only one that still yeah. has their Christmas tree up. <laughs> That's so crazy. I like that. I can't even comprehend that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of Taylor Swift, Lauren, what do we have queued up on today's show? Up on today's Problematic Women, musician Damon Albarn says Taylor Swift does not write her own songs. T-Swift is firing back. Plus, mass mandates in schools are driving parents to take action and fight for freedom. And a biological male who identifies as a transsexual is standing up for women's rights to fairness in sports. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Our favorite pop... <laughs> Our, your, our, your favorite. I'm including all of the listeners in this, wow. Lauren. Oh, <laughs> our minus Lauren's <laughs> favorite pop artist, Taylor Swift, has been back in the headlines this week, and this time because singer-songwriter Damon Albarn said that Swift does not write her own songs. Albarn is the lead singer of the band Blur, and he recently sat down for a Q&A interview with the Los Angeles Times. And during that conversation, he was asked what he thought about Taylor Swift, and he responded, she doesn't write her own songs. The LA Times pressed him on this comment a little bit more, and they responded by saying, of course she does, co-writes some of them. Then Albarn really went in on Swift a little further, and he said that co-writing songs doesn't count. 
I know what co-writing is. Co-writing is very different from writing. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just saying there's a big difference between a songwriter and a songwriter who co-writes. And Swift had something to say about Auburn's comments. She, of course, called him on the phone and they had a nice conversation. Aww. They didn't publicize it at all. cup of tea. Yeah. It was lovely. No, she went on Twitter, <laughs> of course. And she said, I was a big fan of yours until I saw this. Questionable. I wrote all my own songs. Your hot take is completely false and so damaging. So Albarn responded directly to Swift's tweet, writing, I totally agree with you. I had a conversation about songwriting, and sadly, it was reduced to clickbait. I apologize unreservedly and unconditionally. The last thing I would want to do is discredit your songwriting. I hope you understand, Damon. So I, I feel weird asking you this question because I just know what you're going to say. <laughs> but Lauren, do you think that Taylor Swift overreacted? You know, people never overreact on Twitter. So obviously, and Taylor Swift is known to have such an even keel. Like she does not mm-hmm. ever get dramatic about stuff. So yeah, I think it was a total normal reaction. <laughs> Uh, well, I think this is such a kind of the classic example of uh, no press is is bad press. And like, oh, gosh, like this is just free publicity for Taylor Swift to get her music out there and kind of for people to, to remember, you know, hey, she's here. She has great music. She writes a lot of her songs. <laughs> well, and I mean, can not one person can write the hitter's going to hate, 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 hate. And the faker's going to fake, 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 fake. So I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. Shake it off. Shake it off. All right. So I I am I am going to stand up for Swift a little bit here and say, yes, that song probably was not very hard to write. <laughs> but a lot of her songs uh, do have a lot of depth, a lot of meeting, a lot of really, really beautiful poetic language. Uh, and she she has at least co-written all of her music, if not written songs herself. Back um, with her her third album that she released, she actually intentionally wrote all of the songs on that album because she was getting so much slack for people saying, you don't write all your songs. So on the album Speak Now, she actually said, nope, I'm going to write all of them. You know, she could say, I write all my music. <laughs> you know, I, I just... My feelings on Taylor Swift were known, and yeah, I do. I, I'm sure she writes some of her own music, but she does see her music seems to match her personality, and I don't think writers could could do that. Yeah, you need to calm down. You're being too loud. <laughs> 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 well, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of what, if anything, the the backlash is for these two artists because Albarn has about. Um, 514,000 listens on Spotify a month. Taylor Swift has 54 million listens on average every month. Swift, she said in that tweet, you know, that this is damaging um, to have someone claim that she doesn't write her own music. I I don't think Taylor Swift is is going to be damaged by this as much as I love the girl. I'm like, Taylor, I think you'll be okay. But I do wonder if Albarn is going to wind up being damaged by these comments since Taylor Swift folks are so insanely loyal. No, I, I have not thought of the blur in years. And I think I saw he was also in Gorillaz, which put out great music back in the day. I think this is going to help him. It, it, he yeah. was a no-name, and now he's... He's somebody. Yeah, I think yeah. this is His picture help him. next to T-Swift is yeah. everywhere. <laughs> oh, the music world is wild. All right, well, stay tuned, because up next, we have a special guest joining us to talk about mask 
mandates and why some parents are finally putting their foot down to say no more wearing masks in school. But first, uh, we have an important announcement. The Heritage Foundation is currently accepting applications for the summer 2022 internship program. Nearly every team across Heritage accepts interns, including the Daily Signal. So whether you love research, writing, editing videos, creating social media content, or planning events, the Heritage Foundation Internship offers students and recent grads hands-on work experience. If you're passionate about conservative ideals and looking for a great real-world work experience this summer, then you should consider applying for the Heritage Summer Young Leaders Program. In addition to gaining that real-world work experience in the nation's capital, interns receive policy briefings, take part in first principles lectures, and have the opportunity to build lasting relationships with fellow interns. The applications are due February 2nd, so go ahead and get on that. You can apply by going to heritage.org slash young-leaders-program Or you can just DM me on the Problematic Women Instagram account, and I will send you the link for how you can apply. The debate over masks is unfortunately far from over. Since the very beginning of the pandemic, the American people have received mixed messages on masks. At first, they were like, you know, you, we don't really need them. And then it was like, everybody should wear like 19 masks at a time. But now you know, the restrictions are easing. A lot of businesses, I know in Florida, my family hardly ever wears masks. Mm-hmm. But still, a lot of students are required to wear masks. The state of Virginia is central in this conflict. Students have been required to wear masks. But now the state has a new governor. Mm-hmm. And Virginia's governor, Glenn Youngkin. Both says, Virginia the person and Virginia the state. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> he's my so governor. <laughs> and she's, he's the state of Virginia. She shares it with everybody I, else. I do. I'm very generous <laughs> like that. <laughs> so Governor Glenn Youngkin says that parents have the right to decide whether their children wear a mask at school or not. On January 15th, Youngkin signed an executive order that gives parents the right to choose whether their child should wear a mask to school or not. Youngkin has been very clear that he wants parents to have these rights, to have control over their child's education and their child's well-being. Well, in response to that executive order, now seven Virginia school divisions are suing the governor over this executive order. In a joint statement on Monday, these seven school divisions wrote, today's action is not politically motivated. Hmm. These seven (laughs) school divisions would welcome the opportunity to collaborate with the governor to ensure the safety and welfare of all students. Well, Youngkin's spokesperson says that the Virginia's executive branch will fight the lawsuit and remains very committed to defending parents' fundamental right to make decisions with regard to their child's upbringing, education, and care as the legal process plays out. Joining us to discuss these mandates is Heritage Foundation's Director for Civil Society and the American Dialogue, Katie Gorka. Welcome, Katie. Hey, ladies. It's so good to be here. (laughs) One of the many very, very problematic women. Katie is definitely problematic. (laughs) So, Katie, you're a mom. Your kids recently graduated high school in Virginia, What's your perspective on how this debate is playing out? 
Well, I think the interesting thing is that when Glenn Youngkin issued his executive order, he was simply reaffirming what is in the Virginia Code, Mm. which is that a parent has a fundamental right to make decisions concerning the upbringing, education, and care of the child. That's the bottom line, and Mm -hmm. I think that's super important. I think the other point that's so important here is – The science is not clear, (laughs) right? So the science is not clear regarding masks on the one hand. But what is absolutely clear is the damage it's doing to our children, Mm -hmm. all kinds of impacts to our children, both on learning, learning how to communicate, development of language, but also the whole development of social and emotional skills. So I think this is a really important debate, but... I guess seven school districts have decided there is no room for debate. (laughs) You're going to categorically challenge what the governor's doing. And I'll tell you what, parents are not happy. There is a lot of pushback. When you talk about those impacts, and I I have to believe it's going to be years and years and years before we see the full extent of what this does to, you know, a seven-year-old kid for, you know, from the age of of seven to, to nine or 10 to not be able to clearly in school all day long, you know, see the faces of their peers, of their teacher. That's got to have a really powerful psychological impact uh, and and dangerous effects that, you know, it's going to be years before we fully know. No one's talking about that. Why aren't we having that conversation? Because it's all about politics. (laughs) You know, I I, I saw on the news, um, they interviewed a young student at one of the schools that's, that's challenging this. And he said, yes, this whole issue to take off masks is just a right wing effort to politicize the issue. This was a kid saying this, you <laughs> wow. know? Yeah, that's wow. how political it's become. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, and too, now we know about the cloth masks is that they, they don't, don't really do anything. Work. I mean, Dr. Leanna Wynn, former head of Planned Parenthood, now the CNN doctor, she says they don't work. You have to wear like an N95 mask that stays on your face all day. And if you've ever been around a child ever, you know they're, they're always touching their face, especially teenagers. And can you imagine, too, having like the acne? And I know it like affects my skin. It's just there's so many negatives to it. And there's not really any positive except for there's a small chance that maybe masks work if you wear them perfectly and you wear this right kind of masks. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing that's amazing, as the Atlantic Monthly of mm-hmm. all places pointed out, that the CDC's data that they're basing this on is one study out of Arizona about masks and 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 this particular study found the, a, a three time lower rate of COVID in a school district in a, in an area where they were masking right, but the Atlantic Monthly right a bastion mm-hmm. of left wing thinking um, walks through how the whole study was very faulty. I mean, there so the CDC is basing its uh, policies on a faulty study, and yet it seems like we're not even allowed to discuss the science. We're not allowed to discuss the different views. There's the accepted you know, position and everybody else be damned. Mm-hmm. No, well, it's so accurate. And it's so sad. It's because the kids really can't fight for themselves. And as much as parents do care a lot about their kids, they send them off for eight hours a day and you look at like celebrities are always they Muriel Bowser goes to speak. What does she do? She takes her mask off. All these award shows, they never wear masks. It's really just this like small segment of society that we've all agreed as adults of like, okay, they'll they'll be fine. They'll adapt. They're kids, and we never really take the time to really think of their well being in this process. Mm-hmm. 
I know. I'm, I have to say I'm kind of surprised that parents have not intervened more on mm-hmm. behalf of their children in this. It just seems so instinctual, you know? And I and I thought it was so interesting, this, the incredible interview that Barry Weiss did the other night with yeah, Bill Maher. Wasn't yeah. she amazing? <laughs> um, but, but what really hit home for me, and I can't get this number out of my head. Now, I know we're not talking about little kids here. We're talking about older kids, uh, older, probably young adults. But she said self-harm among women has increased by 51 mm. percent wow. or self-harm among girls has increased by 51 percent. Mm. You know, all the mental health issues around being isolated from each other, not being able to communicate openly, not getting to see smiles. Um, you know, and on that note, I have to say, I, I thought it was really beautiful. One of the organizations that's uh, come about to mm-hmm. protest against this is actually called Smile Virginia. Oh, Aww. I love How that. How perfect is that? <laughs> I love so that. Good. How can you be against that? I, know. <laughs> I agree. Well, Carrie Lucas, she's the president of the Independent Women's Forum and a mom of school-age kids. She lives in Fairfax, Virginia, right outside of D.C., which is one of those school districts that is suing over Yunkin's order. She posted a tweet and photo on Twitter this morning highlighting just how crazy these mask mandates are. She wrote that Fairfax County Schools had, quote, security, police, and a public affairs block at the door of my elementary school today, all to deal with the, quote-unquote, threat of my unmasked seven- and nine-year-olds. They ordered a local journalist off the property who wanted to witness my polite attempt to exercise opt-out rights. So Fairfax County today, according to Carrie Lucas, who I believe had cops because her nine- and seven-year-old did not have masks. She posted a photo of it, and you can see the police car, and it's just unbelievable that this is what it's come to. We have cops trying to enforce on little kids to wear a face mask. I mean, Katie, could you imagine? Luckily, your kids graduated before any of this craziness. But could you imagine that happening to you? No, but I think we've been moving in this direction mm-hmm. for a long time. And honestly, I think a lot of people aren't surprised that this is where we've ended up. Um, how well, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, the whole notion of political correctness, which a number of years ago seemed like it was such a thing. We were so critical of it. It's like I kind of wish we could go back to those yeah, It was days. like the butt of the joke, like don't be PC. You I know. know. <laughs> but that was a step on the way to where mm-hmm. we are today. And it's just it's it's absolutely crazy. But I think the interesting th- thing is going to be to see where does this go in the Virginia Supreme Court, because mm-hmm. that's where it's headed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just it's I I try to like let this stuff go and like be a happy person and don't let politics. But now in D.C., you can't eat a burger without showing your vax card. Kids can't choose whether or not to wear because there's no rule to say a kid couldn't wear a mask. Right. Like they're letting parents and the kids decide like the fact that the government has gotten to such a point where you can't. I mean, like monetary policy affects everyone. Foreign policy affects everyone. But. Literally every day, you can't even like walk out of your building without mm-hmm. thinking about this. It's it's really frustrating. But I'm telling you, honestly, it does make me optimistic, oddly, hmm. because this is a part of our great awakening now. Hmm. It's the fact that when our freedoms touch our lives, it's hmm. no longer abstract. Hmm. Um, when the compromise of our freedoms touches our lives – that's what's getting people motivated. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I think our country will never look the same again after these last two years because so many people who thought that they could just comfortably allow, you know, leave the, the education of their children or the running of the country to others, 
while they live their lives, those days are gone. Yeah, those days are gone. And I think in the long run, it's going to be a really beautiful thing for our country. You know, that's one thing that I've said during COVID is so many people realized how much power local government has, how much power your state governor has, how much power your school board has. People awoke to this and were like, wait a second, it really matters who serves in these offices at this local and state level. And honestly, you know, what the president does affects us all, but we're way more affected by what happens at that local and state level. I think it's also really encouraging the number of people who realize, oh, it's not the person over there that has to run for office and who am I, but people Everybody realizes, oh, yeah, that's what self-government is about. Mm -hmm. I can step up and run for school board and make a tremendous difference uh, in, in the life of my family, my children, my community. Absolutely. Well, Katie, I appreciate you showing. It does make me feel a little bit better. I'm, I'm slightly less <laughs> We angry need that optimism. <laughs> Well, another issue that is increasingly affecting students across the country is the issue of biological men competing in women's sports. It started with track, then wrestling, then weightlifting, and now swimming, as we've talked a lot about on the show. Biological men who identify as women are entering women's sports and taking opportunity from qualified women and girls. This is an issue that crosses party lines. Many people can see on both sides of the aisle that a biological man competing against a woman is not fair. And now just this week, a biological male who identifies as transsexual named Karina Cohn testified before Indiana state lawmakers and told them why they must protect female athletics. Cohn spoke to the Indiana House of Representatives on Monday in support of a bill prohibiting biological males from participating in girls' sports. This testimony is so powerful that we want to play the full three-minute clip for you all. Here's what Cohn had to say. My name is Corinna Cohn. I'm a resident of Indianapolis and a constituent within House District 98, represented by Robin Shackelford. I am an independent, and I have voted for principled members of each party. I'm here to speak in support of HB 1041, which aims to strengthen the rights for girls and young women competing in sport. My testimony today is based on my personal opinion as a transsexual. That is, a person who was born male and used pharmaceuticals and plastic surgery to feminize my body so that I appear to be a woman. Despite having these procedures, my sex is male, and neither science nor medicine can change that. I began this process as a teenager, and although my testosterone levels have been in the female range for nearly 30 years, male puberty has endowed me with physical advantages such as height, bone structure, and increased lung capacity. For example, I stand at 5 foot 10 inches, which puts me in the 99th percentile for women's height. I am just an inch shorter than the female athletes who play in the WNBA. The average male height is 5 inches taller than the average female's. Banning males from participating in women's and girls' sports would be justified on this basis alone. Everyone can use their own eyes to observe how these advantages play out in the real world. The most recent example is the University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a biological male who has broken numerous school and national records, records women will be unlikely to ever match. If more males like Leah are permitted to compete against women, it will become common to see women marginalized in their own sport category. I have school-aged girls in my family. I know they often need support and encouragement to stick to competitive activities. When boys are allowed to compete with girls in their own sport, that is one more reason a girl has to talk herself out of participating. 
Opponents of this bill use confusing language like transgender girls to refer to boys who are being socially and medically treated to mimic members of the opposite sex. Just like these youth who are being characterized as trans kids, I also suffered gender identity disorder as a teenager. We should have all the sympathy that we can for these children and ensure they have appropriate treatment. But it is unfair to expect girls to cede their hard-won rights to make room for male students suffering from gender identity issues. It's astonishing that women's rights groups are not lined up here in support of HB 1041. In particular, the American Civil Liberties Union is strongly against HB 1041. The ACLU is supposed to protect women's rights, not undermine them. Instead, women and girls must rely on right-wing organizations to come up here and support their interests. It is absurd and unreal that liberal organizations are turning their backs on women's rights. Somebody needs to stand up for women and girls, and I feel compelled to do so since so few members of the transgender, transgender community have come forward to support them. It's ironic that people who identify as women will not risk defending women against attacks on their rights. Virginia, what stuck out to you? In Cohen's testimony. Yeah. So, I mean, I think first off, it's just really encouraging to see someone kind of call a spade a spade Mm -hmm. and just say this is the situation. And and for an individual who um, acknowledges I I was born a man and who even says, you know, biologically, I I still am a man who's very open about this is the facts. But, um, you know, says I've, I've made these changes so that I appear as a woman, but then goes on to say just because... I appear as a woman and I've taken testosterone for years and years and years. That doesn't mean that I should be allowed to compete against women. I obviously have uh, these advantages physically. I have a larger you know, bone structure. I'm taller, all of these things than the average woman. And it's really refreshing to just see someone be honest about it. I think Karina Cohn is a hero. Mm. I mean, it's first of all, it's got to be so hard for someone from the left to stand up to the left. Mm -hmm. And she did. She was incredible. She said, um, one of my favorite lines was, she said, my sex is male and neither medicine nor science can change that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's so going against the 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 you know prevailing thought, um, and I thought it was really important. Um, but it also was really moving that she said um, it will be common for women to become marginalized in their sports categories. Yeah. And I have to say this is super personal for me because I grew up right on the cusp of Title IX. Mm. So I grew up as a soccer player playing on mixed sex teams. Wow. And as a girl playing with boys, you get injured more. Mm -hmm. You just do because they're rougher, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. And it was really transformative when I went to college in 1978, four years after the introduction of Title IX. And we finally, I finally got to play on a women's soccer team. Mm. And so to see this kind of backsliding, I, I don't understand where <laughs> are all the moms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I read something great about uh, the, the moms who get up at five in the morning to take their, you know, mm-hmm. daughters to crew practice, as I did for eight <laughs> years. Um, why are they not more outraged? It just blows my mind. Like people have lost all common sense. Yeah. Well, and this is something that Cohen said during the testimony of where are these feminist groups? Where uh, where are these groups that for years and years and years spoke up and defended the rights of women? Why are they silent now? 
Yeah. And, and, and another line that I just I love from the from the testimony, he said, if we continue to cannibalize women's rights, the backlash will be severe. And I think that's really true. I think, you know, I, I, I look at someone like him. I don't even know if I should call him, him or her. OK, I look at him, her. Um, what a hard thing to do, right? What, mm-hmm. a, what a tough thing to go through. But we live in a world where we are so much more accepting of people making these personal choices. But when you start to impose it on everybody else and when you when when it's done in a way that takes away hard fought achievements and rights for women, it is going to make a terrible backlash. People are getting angry Mm -hmm. and rightly so. And I I just think it's it's bad all around. I think it's a big mistake all around. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important that people like Corinna, I saw Bruce Jenner stood up for this or Caitlyn Jenner. They stood up for this person. They stood up for these UPenn swimmers because with this left, you can only talk about issues if you fall in this little transactional box, right? And so it is really important that they are standing up. They are making these good points. And Virginia, your point on like these quote-unquote feminist groups, that's why I love at the beginning of the show we always like, – we call it the quote-unquote so-called feminist left because this – for years and years and years and really all of third-wave feminism is – they're not feminists. They they want this weird leftist utopia and they're using women. And Katie, like you said in the last segment of how we are – hopefully this will wake up people. And that's kind of a bright side of this issue. Hopefully this will wake up people to this third wave leftist feminism where, yes, we can and we debate on our show all the time. Can you be conservative and feminist? And that is an important discussion to have and it is really important for us to empower the women around us. And hopefully this will wake people up and show them like, no, they are not pro-woman. They are pro this idea that we need to kind of be this homogenized society and everybody needs to work and there's no value on family. And yeah, it's okay. It's just swimming and whatever. It is sad that one person doesn't get first place when they should, but it it is such a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. And that the fact that yeah, it's on a national stage. Yeah, 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 and it starts it starts with that one race, mm. and then as we've Boom. seen, like this grows and it grows and it grows, uh, and you know people have you know literally said testifying before Congress, you know we keep going down this road, women's sports disappear. Yeah, like, you know this is this is where we're headed, and I think people are like, oh, you're exaggerating. That's too much. That's too far. Well, ten years ago, you told someone that you know a biological male is going to be competing with women, and people would have laughed and said, oh, no one's going to let that happen. Things continue to spiral, and unless someone puts the brakes on, it will keep spiraling. Well, and I think it's part of a bigger problem. Jay Richards from you know here at the Heritage Foundation has written some articles about this, about how the Democratic Party is basically making women disappear. Mm-hmm. We have all these policies that diminish the, the role and importance of women. And the whole conversation, for example, about gender means it's no longer just about women and girls, but it's women, girls, boys, LGBT, and all the other you know, groups. So I think it's part of a bigger problem. And one day, the suburban women who keep voting Democrat are going to wake up and realize they have not been well served. Yeah, maybe those mean tweets weren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Well, stay with us because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. Hi, I'm Virginia Allen. I want to tell you all about an awesome Heritage Foundation resource called the Index of Economic Freedom. The Heritage Foundation Index of Economic Freedom ranks nearly every nation in the world according to its level of economic freedom. Whether for personal, professional use, or for school research, the index is a wealth of information. 
You can learn why it's easier to start a business in Switzerland than it is in France and where America falls on the ranking. So go ahead and visit heritage.org slash index to explore the newly released 2021 Index of Economic Freedom, which features interactive maps, country rankings, graphs of data, and much, much more. Now it is that time, once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Angela Saylor. Angela Saylor is the new director of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the state of Virginia. She was appointed by Governor Glenn Youngkin. Saylor used to work here at the Heritage Foundation and is very opposed to the teaching of critical race theory. Honestly, I think... Angela Saylor just defines what it means to be a problematic woman. She loves this country. She's really dedicated her life to ensuring that those principles of liberty and justice for all are carried on from one generation to the next. And all three of us here in this room had the opportunity to get to know Angela a little bit during her time working at the Heritage Foundation. But Katie, I know you worked very closely with Angela why Why is she truly such a problematic woman and someone who is perfect to serve in this role as the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Director for the state of Virginia? Oh, all good questions. Well, first of all, <laughs> we are just so proud of her mm-hmm. and also so pleased that the governor chose her. I, I don't think there's a better choice out there. Um, I'm going to I'm going to identify practical qualities in her character, why I think she's so good for this, because she's she's super smart. She you know, this Mm -hmm. is this is a very challenging task that she has. Okay, he you know, uh, the the governor restructured the office. It's not the office for diversity, equity and inclusion. It's diversity, equity and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. And you want to be careful because you don't want African-Americans in Virginia to feel like this governor doesn't care about them. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it's about at all. It's a it's a per- change in perspective of what is actually going to serve them. Yep. And the feeling that it is ec- opportunity that's going to serve them. And I think I think, Angela, it's you know, she's going to be able to walk this mm-hmm. this line carefully but effectively. Uh, so I I think it's just a super exciting time, and I can't wait to see what this does for the people of Virginia. Because I tell you, the old path, the diversity, equity, and inclusion path, where you lower standards and just say we're serving you know people because we're going to lower the, the the requirement on test scores, is not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, we've seen that tried in other states, and it it doesn't work. When you lower expectations, it just lowers standards for everyone and everyone falls. You got to raise those expectations because that actually challenges people and encourages them to rise to that occasion, rise to that challenge. Well, I love too that Governor Youngkin added the unborn under this office. Yes. It's so important to stand up. And you you went from a, a governor who was like, yeah, we can leave the baby on the table to die. No big deal. To like, no, we need an office that will stand up for these people. It shows the swing. And, and I'm just, Katie, you meant, you said it's so great, like proud and so grateful to have Angela in this position. Yeah. And so proud and grateful that we have a governor who recognizes that and the importance of addressing the unborn and, and protecting the unborn. Angela's got a lifetime of commitment mm-hmm. to that. So, again, I just I think I think she's got a big job. <laughs> <laughs> that she I, does. I'm sending her thoughts of strength and, <laughs> and, you know, whatever. I don't think she'll get a lot of sleep over the next couple of years, <laughs> but it's exciting. It's just and it is, you know, right now. 
everybody's looking at Virginia. Um, I know we've all been watching Florida for a long time. <laughs> I think I think we're pivoting a little bit. I think, you know, it's really interesting that Virginia pulled away and was able to make that pivot from being blue to red. And what's it going to look like now? Yeah. Um, how are we going to bring about these changes? And I think I think Angela's going to be at the forefront of what those changes look like and how it's going to serve all people of Virginia. Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you so much. We so appreciate you joining us. Love having you on the show. Hope to have you back. But this has been super fun. Thank you. Always love to be with the problematic women. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, take a minute to subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a fantastic week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.